Christmas is a lot about giving and receiving. I think we can all agree with that. At Christmas, we give gifts to each other to show our love. And I guess the, the, the model was the wise men, right? The wise men brought gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And so we, it's funny how the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, but we give gifts to one another, amen? And uh, so that's, it's fun because we love one another and so we love to, to give gifts at Christmas. There is something awesome about giving the gifts, about picking out that special thing that you want to give someone and just being excited about giving that to that, that particular person. But we also like to receive, amen? We like to receive gifts. There is a verse of scripture that says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you read that verse and you hear it, you can kind of come away with, well, it kind of, it kind of looks like it's kind of really putting receiving down. You know, it's like, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive, you know. But it just says it's more blessed. It doesn't say that it's not blessed to receive, amen? It's, it's certainly blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think that comes about around when we learn how to give and when we learn to give in response to the amazing things that God has given us. And so we come to that place where we realize that there is that blessedness to give. But it is a blessing. It's a huge blessing to receive. So we will all receive Christmas presents this year, gifts and presents. I guess there's a difference, gifts and presents. Um, but we'll all receive gifts and presents, and I wonder what you will receive this Christmas. I wonder what I will receive. Maybe you will get what you've been wanting. Maybe not. <clears throat> Maybe you will get something that you haven't been wanting. And you will be, you know, you will be appreciative. You will be thankful. You know, you will be. I wonder if anyone here will receive a gift and you open it up and you have, you have no idea what it is. <laughs> and you just look at it and you say, well, what is it? Have you ever received a gift like that? Where you try to figure out, well, is, what could it be, you know? we've all received, hopefully it's not a fruitcake or anything like that. <laughs> Although there's people out there that, I guess they make a lot of fruitcakes, so somebody out there likes fruitcakes. I don't know who they are. Anybody, anybody like a fruitcake? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, they make them. There's, there's whole factories. There's people right now making fruitcakes, you know. <laughs> Got to get these fruitcakes ready for, you know, Christmas Eve. We, sometimes we get a gift and we don't know what it is. Well, it was a weird thing when Jesus came into the world. The world didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. He came even into his own people. His, his, his very nation, his very people, and they did not recognize him or receive him. The most important thing that anyone could do in their lives is to receive the gift that is Jesus Christ into their life and receive eternal life. That, that is the most important gift that anyone ever could receive. 
But far too many people do not recognize who Jesus is. They don't recognize him. They don't receive him. And therefore, they don't know him as Lord and Savior of their lives. The scripture points out a huge difference, a huge contrast, really, between those who receive Jesus and those who don't receive him, those who fail to recognize who he is, to, to recognize that he is the Lord and to continue to recognize him in their lives. There's a, there's a huge contrast. Here in the first chapter of John, we're going to look at a couple of verses tonight. John has been opening up his gospel just to get the context. He's opening up the gospel. He's setting it up to lay out that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the, the, the theme of the gospel, and that he's going to show some amazing things that, that Jesus does, and hopefully to say it all in the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that people would see these things, that they would look upon these things, and that they would receive Jesus Christ, that they would believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we're going to look at this passage where it talks about how he came into the world and the world didn't recognize him, didn't uh, receive him. And we're going to look at how important it is to recognize him, to receive him. In fact, these two points tonight are perhaps the most important things that we could do at Christmas is to recognize Christ and to receive him. And if we've already received him, to continue to be in that posture of receiving the Lord into our lives. And so let's look at this. Recognize him. Let's look at uh, John chapter one. Let's pick it up, verse 10. It says this, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. One of the most important things that anyone could do this Christmas is recognize Jesus. To see who he is, to understand who he is, and for a Christian to continue to recognize him in your life as the Lord and Savior of your life. Each person needs to realize who Jesus is. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the mighty God, that there, there was going to be a son given, a child born, and he was going to be the mighty God. And this is the theme of the Gospel of John, that, that the mighty God put on flesh, and he came and dwelt among people. But this verse that we first read here says that he, he came into the world, he was in the world, but the world didn't know him. The world didn't recognize him. Verse 10, look at it. It says, he was in the world. He was in the world. He came into the world. Chris said it earlier. He came into the world. He was in the world. But then John makes another point. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So he came into this world that he made, and the world didn't recognize him. They didn't know him. They didn't know who he was. And so this was a major tragedy here. Well, first, what's the world? He was in the world. And then he says he, he, made, he, he made the world. Well, this is talking about this world that we live in. You know, the Greek word here is cosmos. You're familiar with that term. 
It's, it's the word, and it has multiple meanings. And so the first part of it is dealing with this habitat that we have, the world, the, the, the earth and the sky and the, the sun, moon, and stars, and, and this whole thing that we have to live and to breathe and to be alive as human beings. And, and, and this is the world. And so he, he was in this world, and he made this world. But then he says the world didn't know him. Now, this is very interesting because you, you think about someone knowing him. Could it, could it be that the, that the dirt didn't know him or the sky didn't know him, the, the waters, the rivers, the seas didn't know him? Or, or was that now referring to something else? The world didn't know him, the, 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 the people of the world, the system of the world. It's, it's, it's interesting when you look at it. It's, a, it's an incredible picture, really. The king of glory, the creator God, had come into the world, the world that he created, but, they did not, but it did not uh, know him. It did not recognize him. Um, so it's, it's, it's an incredible thing when you look at it. Uh, it's interesting from one sense that the cosmos did recognize him in one sense of the word, in one sense of the meaning of the word. Because this Jesus that came into the world, the winds and the waves obeyed him. The sea, he walked upon the sea, the sea held him up. The rocks were ready to cry out and praise and worship. And so in one sense, the world, in that inanimate sense, <laughs> did recognize him, did obey him, but then the world at large did not know him. So what happened when God came into the world? The world didn't know him. Mankind didn't recognize its maker. Isaiah the prophet spoke of a lack of awareness and recognition of God. In Isaiah chapter one, I'll throw these verses of scripture on the, on the screen. They're actually kind of sad. He says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. So when John is saying, look, he came into the world, he was in the world, the world that he made, but the world didn't know him. It's, it's kind of like, it almost seems like it's, it could be a parallel passage to this passage in Isaiah 1. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. In some ways, these can be considered among the saddest verses of the Bible. I mean, there's some sad verses. But I think you could consider these among the saddest verses of the Bible. The Logos of God that, that John is talking about here in John chapter one. He, he, he went into the world. He went into his home. He went into his people, the nation of Israel, but they did not recognize him. They did not know who he was. They did not receive him. They did not worship him. <clears throat> now it says that he, verse 11 he came unto his own. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. 
The first time the Greek word translated his own is used in this verse, it's, it's, it is a form referring to the creation. And it's kind of like, it's almost like John in the spirit is kind of playing on these verses. He's like, he was in the world, he made the world, but the world didn't know him. He came into his own, but his own did not receive him. And so it's like he came into the creation, he came into this place that he made, but his own did not receive him. They did not know him. The reality is this, that mankind was made to worship. Um, there, there is something in the way that God made us as people. He made us for him to be that central part, that pivotal part, that place. The, he, he's, he's kind of like, um, you know, I don't even know a good analogy, but like we need that true north. We need to, to worship God for us to be completely fulfilled, for us to be completely living up to that purpose, that high purpose that we were created. And the thing is, when we don't worship the creator and we turn to worship the created, we kind of, in that sense, fall short of, of the purpose. We fall short of the glory of God in sin and we fall short of the purpose that we've been made. And so if we're not worshiping God and you have a whole world that did not receive him, that did not know him, and, and Paul argues in Romans 1 that they had given up on God, that they had worshiped the created thing rather than the creator. And that's ultimately what's gonna happen. If people don't worship God, they're going to find something to worship. Now, a modern, sophisticated person might say, well, I don't worship anything. I don't worship anything, but I guarantee you if we were able to track their life, if we were able to look at their life from day to day, from moment to moment, we could see what they're giving their life to. We could see what uh, you're, someone would, was, um, you know, something that they're excited about, that they're passionate about, that they're giving their time and their money and their resource and their, and their affection and their adoration. And in that sense, they're giving their life for that particular thing. Now, I, 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 I don't like to make these kind of heavy-handed illustrations because I don't like to, to say that, like, you know, you can't do this or, or that and be a Christian, but, 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 but people will worship something. They will go and give, give it all. And, and I have found that sometimes people that would be the most vocal about having, you know, not wanting to worship God would be the most passionate in some other area in giving their life to some, 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 something or some um, situation. And, uh, and so it's amazing when you look out at the world and, and what people will give their lives to. And there, there is an analogy about giving your life to something that's not God. It's, it's um, even, even yourself, even if you boil it down and say, well, no, I don't do anything for any, I don't, I don't, you know, well, just look at a, just look at a typical concert and, you know, the world knows how to lead worship. So trust me, the world knows how to lead worship. Just look at a typical concert and they've got everybody participating and reaching and, 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 and worshiping and, and, and whatever and call it what you want and call it what you will. But that's what it is. And, and it's that connection that's being uh, achieved. But giving your life to something less than God is, in my view, um, like giving yourself to, like if you compared it to living for 
uh, a match. I, I used to do this illustration where I'd have a matchstick and I'd, I'd light it. And, and then I'd let that burn for a little while. And then after a while, it gets down to the close to your finger and you go, you know, how long was that? Just a few seconds before I had to kind of shake that off and, and put that, that fire out. And that's about what it, what it ultimately amounts to, living for ourselves or living for something that is the created thing. But when we live for God, we live for the glory and majesty of everything that's eternal. And even to suggest the sun in contrast to the, to the match that goes out in a few seconds doesn't even quite do it. Although, yeah, they say the sun's gonna keep on burning for you know, years. It's been burning for years and it's gonna keep on burning and eventually it'll go out or whatever. But even that analogy falls short because when you worship God, when you recognize God, you live for something that is ultimate, something that is eternal. Amen? So that's what we need. That's what we need. Um, What should our response to Jesus be? We should recognize him for who he is, that he's God, he's creator, he's sovereign Lord of the universe, and furthermore, he's our savior. He's the savior. He paid the price. He came into this world We're celebrating at Christmas. We celebrate that he came into the world, but we we don't want to just celebrate that he came into the world because he came into the world for a very specific reason, a very specific purpose, to give his life for mankind, to to pay the price. He He paid a king's ransom. He paid a ransom. Now, whatever analogy, whatever theology you want to attach that in terms of your theology on the atonement, there's the ransom theory and the, and the penal substitution, whatever. And, the, and there's, there's actually a little bit of, you know, I, I think there's some truth in, 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 in a few of those, you know. And then the, then the actual thing of what the atonement is, that it's an actual covering of our sins, that he shed his blood and that, that you know, the word atonement is the word kippur in the, you know, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, right? And, and, and it's, the, the literally, it's, the, it's, it's literally to smear or to cover with blood. And so we're literally, we, he came to shed his blood, which, which is his life, right? So in the law, you learned that the life was in the blood. So to be covered with the blood of Jesus, to have that covering, that atonement, is literally to be covered over by the life of Jesus Christ, amen? So that's what he came into the world to do. So we've got to receive him. We've got to recognize him. We've got to, we've got to kind of um, make sure that we're in that constant state of recognizing him, amen? Now, who is he? He's the king of glory. Now, I want to take, draw our attentions to a psalm. And it is about kind of recognizing him. It's, 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 it asks the question and then it's, talks about then receiving him, right? Recognizing who he is. It's in Psalm 24. And it is a, it is a, a section of scripture that it ac- actually is included is one of the songs of Handel's Messiah. Uh, and let's pick it up, verse seven. I'll have the verses up on the screen. It says this, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. 
And so that's what we've got to recognize. We've got to recognize Jesus. This is actually a psalm that's dealing with recognizing and then receiving. It's like, who is it? Who is it? Who is this king of glory? Well, he's the, he's the king. He's the king. He's the, he's the, the king of, of kings. He's the king of glory. So open up the gates. Lift up the doors so that the king of glory can come in. And that's what we've got to do in our lives. It's, it's okay to ask the question, who is? Who is this? Who is this? But let's recognize him. Let's, let's open up the doors. Let's lift up the gates and the doors so that the king of glory can come in. And so we need to do this. Israel needed to do this. And, and in that way, they kind of failed to do it. But we need to do it individually. Amen? We need to do this individually. And we need to pass this along to our kids. We need to instill it in them to, to recognize who Jesus is, to recognize him. And then we, we also need to receive him. Let's go back to the text, verse 12. He says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we need to recognize him and then we need to receive him. The most important thing that we can do is receive Jesus. It's the most important and profound thing. In fact, when someone gives their life to Christ, that's why I usually tell them, this is the most important decision that you could ever make in your life to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. This is something necessary. This is something necessary to receive him. And it's very, you think, well, that's, that seems pretty simple, right? Just receive him. I mean, how hard is it to receive a gift? <clears throat> now, you can be stubborn and not receive a gift. Now, some people, want, you know, there are people who are stubborn. Now, oh, I want to give you this. No, 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 don't, don't do that. No, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. Somebody told me, I think it was a professor in college, if somebody wants to bless you, let them bless you. <laughs> okay? Because they want to bless you, which is a blessing for you, and it's a blessing for them because we know it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So I don't want to mess up this whole flow of blessing all the way around, right? So if somebody wants to bless you, let them bless you. Amen? Back when thrash metal became a thing, there was what, what happened was in rock music, um, you, had, you had rock and all that. And so then you had Christian rock, right? You know, back in the day, right? You had Larry Norman and you had all those early Christian rockers, which when you listen to it now, it's like, this is folk music, right? This is, <clears throat> this is not even rock and roll at all. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they call this guy the king of Christian rock because this sounds like, you know, um, it's, it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, I don't know, James Taylor or something. I don't know. Um, I, no, I, I like James Taylor. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, you've got a friend. You've got a friend. Um, <clears throat> but, then the, but then things, you know, progressively went. Like, you know, so you had rock, and then, and then it went to hard rock, and then it went to metal, and then it went to speed metal. And, you know, it was like, how hard can we get and how fast can we do drums and, and, and all this stuff? And so... This thing came out called thrash metal, okay? This is in like the late 80s, 
mid to late 80s, early 90s. So some of the heaviest bands, actually, there's a, there's a band that was like the heaviest band like of all time. It's actually a Christian band called Mortification. So just if you want to just, just, if you want to just get crazy and go on iTunes and listen to uh, a band called Mortification, a song called Distarnished Priest, okay? But anyways, there was a band called Vengeance Rising that was, a, that was on a Christian label. And they had on this song, my, my roommate in college had all this stuff, yeah. right? He had all these tapes. And on this record, they had a song that was eight seconds long the song. I don't know what the shortest song is in history. I don't know if there's a Guinness Book of World's Record for the shortest song. I, I, I don't know how you could time it if you could get a song like less than a second, like, you know, <clears throat> and maybe you could get yourself into the, 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 the Guinness Book for the shortest song. You know, maybe you can't even sing, but you can do the shortest song. But this song was an eight second song. And it was just drums and guitar, heavy thrash for like six seconds. And then it said, receive him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and it, was, it was crazy, but it was actually kind of like, there was like a subtle profoundness to it that was like, yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing. Don't listen to this whole thing. Don't listen to this whole album and somehow miss the most fundamental thing, which is to receive him to receive him into your life. Amen? And, and, and that, was, that was a very interesting thing. There are a lot of people that won't receive Christ. Um, but that doesn't have to be the case. Um, verse 12 starts with the word but. And it's a very important but, okay? It says, but as, to as many as received him. And so there were those that didn't receive him, but there are those that receive him. Amen? Mm -hmm. Praise God. There are those that do recognize who Jesus is. There are those that want to hear the gospel. There are those that, 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 that hear it and, and, and um, by the power of God, receive it. And so there are people who do receive. Some people do receive. Some people did receive. Some people have received him into their life. Now, when you receive him, John says here, he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now the word here is, is the word here, exousian, it's the word for right. And other translations had uh, rendered this other things. They had put um, give, given the power, because it is connected to the word, to the idea of power, exousian. But I believe uh, New King James and some of these other translations got it. I think it's better because it's, 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 it's a right uh, that, that has been given to those that receive him, and the right is to become the children of God. Now, you have heard me on this. If you've been listening to me for very long, we have a nation. One of the things... That you can say whatever you want about the founding and this and that, and we didn't get it right. No nation got it right, okay? No nation got it right. There's no perfect nation. But there is something very special about our nation because in our founding documents, there were right, they understood that rights are not given by the state. 
This is a fundamental difference, okay, that people have to understand. This country was founded on a, a, an understanding that rights were not given by the state. And that's why it's important to make sure when you look at the Constitution, and you, you, the Constitution was a, was a document to impede the government from infringing on rights. The entire document is about stopping all forms of government from infringing on your rights. So this is an important point. We have some important rights that are God-given, and that's understood in the Declaration, right? These are, an, you know, we are, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. We're given rights by God. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. Some, I mean, this is awesome stuff. Let's, let us never take it for granted. There's a right that I think that is the most important right that exists. And it's the right that is given to those who receive Christ. It is a right to become the children of God. Amen? Amen. We're given a right to become the children of God. We're born into the family. So John goes on. He says, we have a right given to us to become children of God to those who believe in his name. We sang about the name tonight, the powerful name. We, we believe in the name. We, we trust in the Lord. We put our trust in him. We believe in him. And, and then he goes on, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So there is this thing that happens where we're born into the kingdom of God. We're born. We're given rights to become children, sons and daughters of God. We're not, this is not something that's physical. This is not something that is of blood. That is not, that is not of the will of flesh, of the will of man, a man and a woman who come together, all that whole process. This doesn't have anything to do with this. This has to do with a person that receives Christ, that is given the right to become the son or daughter of God. And they are born from above. Jesus will explain it a couple chapters from here in John chapter 3, to be born again, to be born from above, to be born from by the will of God. Amen? Yes. So this is what happens when we receive him. We, we, we have this right to be the children of God. And uh, that is an incredible, incredible thing. We, we are born into the kingdom. This, this is something that happens in our life. It's a supernatural work of God. It's, it's, it's in theology, it's called regeneration, but we're really born anew. We're born afresh. And this happens when we receive Christ, when we recognize who he is, when we recognize what he's done for us, that he paid the price on the cross. We were sinners. We have fallen short of the glory, but God paid the price for us. We receive him. We believe upon his name. And so this is what happens to someone who receives Christ, to receive Christ. So this is so important. This is, I believe, 
the message of, of Christmas, really. Because you can celebrate, you know, the, when you think about the, the manger scene and all that, it's an incredible scene, you know. You think about what we talked about last week, the shepherds out in the field, you know. I mean, who would they, they, you know, they're just a band of shepherds out there. Next thing they know, you know, angels are coming down and an incredible, incredible scene. But it's all for a purpose. It's all his entrance into the world. It come into this world to ultimately be rejected by the world, to be crucified and to give his life for you and I. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So I want to encourage you, keep recognizing, keep worshiping, keep receiving him in your life. And if you find yourself, you know, you'll find yourself in the place where, you know, things have gotten busy and things are, you know, just spend that time. Spend that time with the Lord. I want to invite you between now and Christmas to find a, just a special time, which is you and the Lord, just to, just to have that time, that, a, a, a special moment of just recognizing him, worshiping him, um, and thanking him for what he did in coming into the world and being your Lord and Savior. Amen? And, uh, and that's what it really means to be a true worshiper of God.